Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And without further ado, let's start off with Raw. Raw was a big uh, ceremony for Randy Orton. Randy Orton has been in WWE for 20 years, and literally landed on April 25th. Uh, 2022 when he actually did debut on April 25th, 2002. So it landed specifically on his legit 20th anniversary whenever he made his first debut on WWE television, which was on SmackDown in April uh, 25th, 2002. Uh, anyway, Raw will first start off with a Randy Orton celebration with Matt Riddle being in the middle of the ring in the Raw locker room. Uh, surrounding the ring. They're all there to celebrate Randy. And they play a video package of Orton's career. You will see him throughout his various stages of him being the rookie to the legend killer, to the Viper, to the guy that he is now with Riddle. I mean, they showed off him being a 14-time world champion. Just nothing but a big career highlight. After the video package will play, Riddle would introduce Randy Orton to come out. Randy would get a big uh, heroes-like welcome from the crowd, they would cheer Randy. Randy would really be enjoying it. He got to uh, play around with the crowd. He came out and shook and uh, slapped some hands. And he even did that with some of the raw locker room as well. Um, Orton would get in the ring and he would thank Riddle for throwing him this uh, celebration. Orton would then thank, uh, give a thank you speech to the guys that helped him get to the path that he's on right now. He would thank guys like Mick Foley, Triple H, Ric Flair, John Cena and The Undertaker for giving him awesome matches and building him into the person that is standing before everyone today. Randy would thank the fans and mention that without them, there will be no Legend Killer, Apex Predator, Viper, and he thanks them for that. Randy then would go off to say that he right now is having the best time of his career and thanks Riddle for being a tech, great tag partner and a great friend to him. He hugs Riddle. Riddle gets the microphone from Randy and says that he has a surprise for Randy. Matter of fact, a big surprise for him. And he introduces Cody Rhodes to come out. Cody comes out in the suit. Still gets his big grandiose entrance and all that good stuff. And he gets in the ring and he hugs Randy and the crowd is cheering for it because everybody knows the whole uh, relationship between Cody and Randy. The whole legacy deal. Cody being a young guy where Randy took him underneath his wing. Uh... They will get in the ring, they embrace each other, and Seth Rollins, the player hater of the year, the menace himself, would get away from the announce table and stop the whole celebration. He would tell Randy not to trust Cody because he's here to steal his spotlight, and Seth would tell Cody that tonight isn't about Cody, it's about Randy Orton. And then Seth says that he's had 20 years of dominance, 20 years of building up superstars to look up to him, but that's in the past and that his best years are behind him and that the next generations of superstars aren't going to be looking up to Randy Orton. They're going to be looking up to Seth friggin' Rollins. Ezekiel would then get in the ring and introduce himself to Orton and say that he would be watching Orton with his brother Elias and then Kevin Owens would come out of the crowd and say that he couldn't take it being back there and listen to this man's lies. Kevin Owens would then mention that Ezekiel is Elias and that he hasn't lost his mind and that he's going to figure out how Ezekiel passed the lighter to the test last week. You would get all this big hubbub and then 
the Usos, will come out to the ring and they will congratulate Orton for being in the WWE for 20 years. And then they mentioned how they will be watching Orton whenever they were 15 years old. The Usos would tell Orton that their greatest Orton moment is when they will win the tag titles from RK Bro at WrestleMania Backlash and unify the tag titles. And now you got the Usos, Seth, Kevin Owens, Ezekiel, RK Bro, Cody Rhodes all in the ring. You know where this is headed up. And Adam Pearce comes out and he makes the match actually official. In the main event of Raw, it would be an eight-man tag. The Usos teaming up with Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens going against the team of RK Bro, Ezekiel, and Cody Rhodes. After that announcement was made, Kevin Owens would punch Ezekiel in the face, then Orton would RKO Kevin Owens, and everybody would basically scatter from out of the whole segment. So it was a nice opening segment. I'm glad we got to uh, see Randy like give thanks, especially to the guys that helped him. And I'm glad he said Mick Foley, because Mick Foley really did put Randy and that Legend Killer like status really on the map with his match at Backlash in 2004. After this, we would get our first Raw uh, match of the night is for the Raw Women's Championship. It is Bianca Belair going against Sonya Deville. Bianca would win the match three separate times because the first time she would win the match was when Sonya Deville got counted out. And Sonya Deville would take the microphone away from Mike Roman and say that this match will be continuing, but they will have no count out. The second time Bianca would win the match was when Sonya Deville used the steel chair. She grabbed the microphone and said this match will be turned into a no count out, no disqualification, and then called out uh, Carmella and Selena Vega to come down to basically help her out. The third time, Kia, uh, Bianca will win the match by hitting the KOD on Sonya Deville and pinning her to win the matchup. So Bianca technically beat Sonya Deville three times in the night. After this, we would later get to see Sonya Deville basically yelling and uh, lambasting Selena and Carmella because they didn't get the job done and Sonya Deville didn't come out with the Raw Women's Championship. So she tells them that they're not going to get a future women's tag title opportunity. They both say that's not fair. She went back on her words and she ends up slapping both of them and they just walk away. After this, we would get our other match of the night. Uh, Veer Mahan going against Sam Smothers, a local talent. Veer will win the match by submission when Veer locks in the clavicle clutch and Smothers taps out. After the match, Veer will let go of the submission and pick up Smothers and throw him shoulder first into the ring post and the Smothers would roll out of the ring. Veer would then go outside of the ring and apply the clavicle lock again on Smothers and this time referees would come out from the back and go to the ring, well outside of the ring and tell Veer to let go. Veer would then let go of the hold pick up Smothers, hit a spine buster on the commentary table. The commentary table doesn't break. He puts Smothers on the table. Veer would then jump onto the commentary table, lock in the submission again, and hold onto it until referees have to tap him to let go of the hold, and that's what Veer actually does. I have no problem with this. It's going to be interesting when Veer actually has to go against a legitimate superstar. I want to see what happens then. But for right now, let him constantly just be out there just destroying people. I'm cool with this. After this, we will have our arm wrestling segment of the night. It'll be Bobby Lashley going against Omos, who has MVP in his corner. This was a... It was arm wrestling. Bobby Lashley would end up winning the arm wrestling contest. And after the contest, MVP will try to come close to Bobby. Bobby had his fist raised up because he knows what's about to go down. So MVP distracted Lashley, so Omos could attack Lashley from behind. And Omos will be clobbering Lashley, and MVP tells Omos to pick up the arm wrestling table 
and Omos does, and he slams it on Lashley's chest four times before leaving him laying. MVP gets the mic, and he's basically still salty that Lashley didn't need him or want him at ringside at WrestleMania when he get when against Omos. So it was announced later in the night that at WrestleMania Backlash, it will be Omos going against Bobby Lashley. After this, we will have another match. It was the special guest referee in a mixed tag matchup. Dana Brooke and Reggie going against Tamina and Tazawa. And the special guest ref was R-Truth. Tazawa and Tamina would win the match by pinfall. When Tazawa would hit a huge senton off the top turnbuckle onto Reggie for the win. This is Tazawa's first win in Raw in I don't know how long. So I was cool to see that. Uh, other than that, it was alright. R-Truth is probably like, the only good thing going out of this whole uh, 24-7 like uh, thing that they were doing here on Raw. I don't know how when this thing is going to end, but if we're going to get uh, more R-Truth being himself on television, I'm cool with that. After this, we would get a Becky Lynch in-ring promo. This is the first time Becky has been on Raw since losing to Bianca at WrestleMania three weeks ago. So Becky will come out. She... Has sunglasses on. She looks uh, down and out. Becky would tell the fans that she didn't want to show her face on Raw because it's been three years since she's walked out of here without a championship. And I didn't realize that until she mentioned I was like, yeah, the last time you didn't have a title was literally in 2019. 2020, technically, you held it until you had to give it up because you were pregnant at the time. And then 2020. 21, you came back, you beat Bianca at SummerSlam. So, yeah, it's been three years. So, I mean, it's going to be funny whenever we see Roman without a title. I want to see how that happens. So, uh, but anyway, getting back to Becky Lynch. Um, Becky would then mention that she has hit rock bottom and she looks down at the ground for a couple seconds. And then she has this like big epiphany that she's at rock bottom and that there's only one place to go and that's up. So, Becky starts getting all energized and mention how she's going to be on her rise back to the top and that this is going to be a legendary run. And when she wins the title back, she will be champion forever. And then nobody can be her. She started listing off, not Bianca, not Liv, not Sonya Deville. And as she was about to list another name, Asuka's music would hit and Asuka would make her way down to the ring. Asuka's another one that hasn't been in a WWE ring since Last July, I had to look that up when I saw it. I was like, yo, when was Asuka last time on WWE television? They say right around Money in the Bank time in 2021. I forgot about that. So, yeah, Asuka hasn't been around since last July. I was glad to see Asuka back here. Asuka gets a mic and says that she will stop Becky and that nobody's ready for Asuka. Asuka will flick Becky on the nose like a human will flick a dog. Becky would look at Asuka and can't believe the disrespect. She would throw a punch at Asuka, but Asuka would duck it. Asuka would throw a quick spinning back fist to Becky, but Becky would duck that and leave the ring quickly. So now we know that we're going to get Asuka going against Becky somewhere down the line. It's not going to be a WrestleMania backlash, but it's going to be somewhere down the line. After this, we would get Finn Balor going against Damian Priest, who had Edge in his Corner, Damian Priest would win the match by pinfall when Priest would grab Finn by the throat off the top turnbuckle and choke slam him and then hit Balor with an elevated reverse STO for the win. Uh, before the match began, we the ring announcers announced Damian Priest's name. They said, representing Judgment Day, Damian Priest. So Edge and Damian Priest's like, group is called Judgment Day. They took a former WWE pay-per-view and called the group 
Judgment Day. I'm not mad at it because it fits the whole Mount Omnipotence uh, type deal. The edge is on being on top of a mountain and that uh, Damien Priest is supposed to be the punishment to the superstars that's going against Edge. So I have no problem with the group being called Judgment Day. This is one of the times where I'm actually cool with it. After this, we would get Miz TV with his special guest, uh, United States Champion Austin Theory. This the whole thing would just be an ego stroke deal between Miz and Theory. Miz was singing the praises of Theory. Uh, Theory was singing the praises of Miz. Miz being a two-time Grand Slam champion. Uh, Miz would give Theory advice that um, being champion, you don't just throw out championship opportunities to anybody that just uh, calls your name. You got to make people earn a shot at your title. And as Miz would say this to Theory, Mustafa Ali's music will hit and Ali will walk to the ring. And this is, again, another guy who has been on television in a long time. And as a matter of fact, Ali was a guy that was on Twitter saying that, yo, he wants to be out. He publicly said it on Twitter that, yo, I want to be released from my contract. And then once uh, rumors came out that Vince McMahon declined releasing Mustafa Ali, Ali tweeted out, well, it looks like I'll be chilling home for two more years. You You'll be seeing me whenever you see me. So apparently somebody got a hold on to Ali and made some promises to him and had a nice, good conversation with him. And Mustafa Ali's back on WWE television. It was a good face to see. Uh, Ali was going to say something and then Miz would put his hand over uh, Ali's mic and say, you still work here? That's a jab. And then Mustafa was about to say something. Theory would cover Ali's mic and said, aren't you the guy that took his ball and went home? That's another jab. So that tells you that WWE has to give some type of jabs to Ali for taking his ball and going home. Ali took those jabs in stride and said that he came out here because he hopes that Theory is going to issue an open challenge for the United States title, and he wanted to answer that challenge. Theory will say no to that idea, and Ali will say that Theory's all brawn and no balls. Ali will then compare Theory to Miz, because Miz likes to run away from challenges, and Miz took offense to this. So, Ali and Miz will have a war of words back and forth. Ultimately, Theory would text Mr. McMahon, and Mr. McMahon will make the matchup of Miz going against Ali, and that's what happens. Miz would tell Ali that once he's done beating up on Ali, Ali's going to wish that he got his walking papers. Ali will slap the Miz, and then we would get our match up on the way between Ali and the Miz. Miz would lose the match to Ali by pinfall when the Miz was looking to apply the figure four on Ali, but Ali was able to get Miz in a pinning predicament, pin him, and then win the match that way. After the match, as Ali was walking up on the entrance stage and looking at the Miz, Ali would get attacked from the side by Tommaso Ciampa, who's now just going by the name of Ciampa on Raw. They don't like two names for certain people that now get called up from NXT. I don't understand it. So expect Ludwig Kaiser to just be killed to just Kaiser soon. That's my thinking. Uh, Anyway, now it's time for the Raw main event. Eight-man tag match. Usos, Rollins, Kevin Owens going against RK Bro, Cody Rhodes, and Ezekiel. Randy would win the match for his team by pinfall when Randy would hit every single person from the opposition team with an RKO. Seth Aiden RKO first, then Kevin Owens. Then Riddle will pop up Jimmy in the air, and Riddle would uh, then allow Randy to catch Jimmy in the air with an RKO. And then finally, Jay will jump off the top, 
turnbuckle and Randy would catch him in midair for an RKO, pin him for the win. Randy Orton would get a win on his 20th anniversary in WWE to close out Raw. It was a fun eight-man tag. I suggest if you could see it, watch it. You don't get a lot of eight-man tags on like WWE television anymore, so whenever they do happen, it's a great enjoyment to watch. So again, Raw was fine. It was cool. Now to NXT, before I break down the results, they do announce in the program that in two weeks, there will be an NXT Women's Breakout Tournament, and here are some of the participants in the tournament that they uh, announced throughout the show. Uh, one participant is called Ariana Grace. Uh, that is Santino Morella's daughter. Another competitor is Kiana James. Lash Legend did announce that she's going to be a part of that breakout tournament. And Salone Jacobs. Salone Jacobs is a 19-year-old uh, WWE contracted wrestler. She's a part of NXT, so she's going to. she did say that she's going to be the youngest person to be champion in NXT. So that's her goal to win this uh, tournament, to become the youngest person to ever win gold in NXT. So there you go with that. Now, on to the results of NXT. The first match of the night was Nikita Lyons going against Slash Legend. That was the match that started off with the show. Nikita will win the match by pinfall when Nikita would hit a spinning kick to the chest of Lash and cover her for the win. Both of these ladies hit hard. I mean, this match was real physical between both of them, and I was real shocked by this, but it was a nice uh, change of pace for the ladies, in my opinion. And at one point, uh, Lash Legend did kind of like throw Nikita outside of the ring, and Nikita did like fall on her head and like shoulders, and it looked like she kind of almost hurt herself. But thankfully, nothing has came out about that. So let's go and keep on with that one. After Nikita and Lash Legend had their matchup, Natalia would run into the ring and attack Nikita from behind. And now this would lead on to a two on one beatdown of Lash Legend and Natalia beating up on Nikita Lyons. Until Cora Jade ran into the ring with her skateboard and attacked Lash from behind with the skateboard. And this will lead to Natalia and Cora Jade getting face to face. Cora will swing the skateboard at Natalia. Natalia will duck it, swoop Cora Jade by the legs, and attempt to lock in the sharpshooter. But Nikita would kick Natalia in the chest. Natalia would roll out, roll out of the ring, leaving Cora and Nikita holding it down in the ring. And Lash Legend and Natalia will look at them at the entrance ramp. And it was announced that next week on NXT Spring Breaking, it will be Nikita Lyons and Cora Jay going against Natalia and Lash Legend in a tag team match. After this, we will have a matchup of Von Wagner with Robert Stone in his corner going against Tony D'Angelo. Von Wagner would win the match by pinfall and from a little help from Legado del Fantasma when Tony was sent to the outside of the ring. Uh, Raul Mendoza, who is now known as Del Toro, and Joaquin Phoenix would run down to the ring, get on the ring apron, and distract the referee. Then we will see the two guys that attacked Santos Escobar last week come out of nowhere, pull uh, Raul and Del Toro off the apron, and you then see the referee looking at them, and then you see Santos come out of nowhere, hit Tony D'Angelo behind one of his legs with a steel pipe, and leave. The referee would then turn his attention to Tony and start counting them out, and he would get to count of nine. Tony would roll himself back into the ring, but Von Wagner would hit him with a big boot, cover him, win the match. Later in the night, Tony D'Angelo would have a backstage interview where he would introduce the guys that attacked Santos last week, one guy is called Troy Two Dimes Donovan. Another guy is called Chan Channing Lorenzo. 
aka Stacks. Uh, Tony will say that he would like to have a sit down with Santos next week and have a talk before things get out of hand. So expect the two families to have a conversation next week on NXT. After this, we were supposed to have a Nathan Frazier uh, NXT debut. Nathan comes out, but Grayson Waller attacks Nathan's opponent, and Waller gets a mic and tells Nathan that nobody cares about his debut, and this is the Grayson Waller show. Waller will look at Andre Chase and Brody Haywood and their Chase University uh, pupil in the audience and say that Chase U is a scam. Waller will call Andre Chase to the ring, and this will lead to Andre Chase and Bodie to hop over the barricade, getting in the ring. Waller will throw his hands up in the air because he's outnumbered, and he doesn't see Nathan Frazier jumping off the top ropes and hitting him with a dropkick. You will then see Nathan and Waller brawl a little bit in the ring before Nathan hits a dropkick on Waller, sending him to the outside of the ring. And once Waller's on the outside of the ring, you see Nathan hit a speedy fast uh, suicide dive onto Grayson Waller and even lands on his feet. Later in the night, it was announced that at spring break in next week, it will be Nathan Frazier going against Grayson Waller, and that will be uh, Nathan's first NXT uh, debut, in America at least. After this, we will have a tag team matchup of Yalissa Leon and Valentina Flores going against Caden Carter and Katina Chance, formerly known as Casey Catanzaro. Carter and Chance would win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag finish uh, human highlight reel, which is the neckbreaker 450 uh, splash combo on Valentina and Katina Chance would cover her for the win. After this, we would get a three-on-two handicap matchup of Legado del Fantasma's Del Toro, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and Electra Lopez going against Josh Briggs and Fallon Hinley. It was supposed to be a six-person mixed tag match, but Brooks Jensen was attacked backstage, and he couldn't compete tonight. So that's the reason why you got a three-on-two handicap mixed tag match. During the matchup, you would see Robert Stone get on commentary, and he lets the announced team know that Brooks got hurt because he had wandering eyes and he looked at a blonde woman who we now can't confirm is called Sophia Cromwell. That's the same blonde headed woman that Von Wagner looked at a couple weeks ago at the stands and made Von Wagner uh, throw uh, Ikemanjuro outside of the ring into the crowd. That's the same woman. And that's telling you that Brooks Jensen got attacked by Von Wagner backstage. Legado de Fantasma will win the match when Del Toro and Phoenix hit their tag finish, which is a sweeping uh, Russian leg sweep and a running enziguri on Josh Briggs for the win. After this, we will have Solo Sokoa going against Trick Williams, who had Carmelo Hayes in his corner. Cameron Grimes was on commentary for this matchup. Solo would win the match by pinfall when Solo hits a Samoan drop, then the Uso splash on Trick for the win. After the match, Grimes got in the ring and talked to Solo. And then you saw Melo get in the ring and quickly push Solo Sokoa out of the way. And then you see uh, Melo talk to Grimes. And then you see Solo throw a super kick. Melo will see this move out of the way. And Grimes will get hit with a super kick. So Solo will look at Grimes and Melo before walking out of the ring. And this is a way to hype up their triple threat match at next week's spring break in for the North American Championship matchup. After this, we will have the NXT re-debut or surprise of a matchup between Viking Raiders going against Idris Anofe and Malik Blade. 
The Viking Raiders are back in NXT because Roderick Strong uh, called them in because Roderick had a meeting with Diamond Mine earlier in the night, and he told Diamond Mine, more specifically the Creed Brothers, that they have been uh, losing for these past weeks and that they need to change certain things. The Creed Brothers told him, hey man, we didn't get pinned at uh, Stand and Deliver, and we only reason why we lost is because we were in a gauntlet match, and Pretty Deadly came in and swooped it in. Roderick Strong's not trying to hear no excuses, so he's trying to make the Creed Brothers tougher. That's why he called in the Viking Raiders. Viking Raiders will go against Idris and Malik right here. Viking Raiders would win the match by pinfall when they hit a double high assisted powerbomb on Malik Blade for the win. This was a competitive matchup more than I gave it credit for when I first thought about it. But when I saw it, you saw Idris and Malik, they were getting some shots off on Viking Raiders, but the Viking Raiders are main event. No, not main event, but uh, main roster talent. So whenever main roster talent comes down to NXT, they're not going to really take a loss like that. Viking Raiders did beat up on Idris and Malik in the matchup. Hit a double high assist problem on Malik. Pin him. Won the match. After the match, you see Viking Raiders go over to Malik and Idris and shake both of their hands. And then you see them look at the interstage stage and see the Creed Brothers staring at them. And it was announced that next week at Spring Breaking, it will be the Creed Brothers going against the Viking Raiders. I want to see how Diamond Mine is going to be doing with this whole situation because whenever... Uh, Roddy did bring back the Viking Raiders. You saw Malcolm Bivens not happy about this whole situation. He wasn't happy. He was more pissed off than anything else. So it's coming soon that Malcolm's either going to break away from Diamond Mine or he's going to have them turn on Roderick Strong. I want to see how that's going to work because again, Creed Brothers are people. Creed Brothers are people that uh, the NXT universe care about. So I want to see how that's going to be pertained to once uh, people. Once this whole storyline happens, I want to see how that happens. Now, the main event match of NXT is Mandy Rose with Toxic Attraction in her corner going against Roxanne Perez. Uh, Roxanne Perez will lose the match to Mandy Rose, but Mandy would hit Roxanne Perez with a her uh, bicycle knee out of nowhere on Perez, then cover her for the win. Then again, it was a good competitive matchup between Mandy and Roxanne Perez. Roxanne uh, was able to show off that she's willing to do whatever it takes to win a match. She bit the hand of Mandy Rose. She even slammed Mandy's hands on a, like the steel steps and even stepped on her hands. You don't really see good, like the baby faces or like the good guys or good gals do that in matches. You always see like the bad guys and bad girls doing that in matches. So just to see Roxanne do that, it was really interesting to me. After the match, you will see Wendy Chu get on the ring apron and she's holding water guns, looking to spray Toxic Attraction like she did last week, but Toxic Attraction would leave the ring and run up the entrance ramp. Wendy Chu would then get in the ring and stand in the ring holding a detonator and then pushing a button. And then from the sky, you will see a net fall on top of the Toxic Attraction. They will freak out and once they get out of the net, you will see them get sprayed by Silly String by both Wendy Chu and Roxanne. So, Wendy's going out the Toxic Attraction, and more or less, she's probably going to have a match with uh, Mandy Rose down the line. Not next week at Spring Breaking, but somewhere down the line. Now it's time for the main event segment of the night. Joe Gacy will come down to the ring, and the ring will be surrounded by Gacy's druids. Gacy mentions that he's been trying to shape NXT for the last six months into his message of acceptance. 
Gacy will say that he doesn't think that people still haven't bought into his message. Gacy says that people need to get rid of living in the past and get with his message and change for the future because next week at spring breaking, there will be no other choice because he will be taking the NXT championship and he will be ushering a new era into NXT. Gacy will mention how Braun hasn't told anybody about his injuries after last week's fall from grace. Once Gacy uh, pushed Braun last week off of the stands onto the floor Gacy declares that next week he will be crowned the new NXT champion and that the clay that he's been shaping will finally settle in NXT. Rick Steiner, the father of Braun Breaker, will come down to the ring and let Gacy know that Braun will be at spring breaking. He's 100% and that he will be defending the championship next week. Gacy tells Rick that he picked the best time to come back or did he pick the worst time? Because as soon as he says this, Gacy's druids would get on the ring apron and surround Rick Steiner. Braun Breaker's music would hit. Braun would come down to the ring. He attacks all the druids. Well, not all the druids because Gacy was hiding behind two. And then you see like two other guys holding uh, Rick Steiner in the corner. Braun will take out the two guys that Gacy were, was hiding behind. And then Gacy would take out Braun Breaker with a clothesline and lay out Braun. At the entrance ramp, you see... The Druids in a line, and then you see Gacy hold up his arms in the air, and then you see the Druids grab the NXT title, and in that line, they pass it to each other down the line until it hits Gacy's hands, and then Gacy holds the NXT title, raises it up in the air over Braun's laid out body, and that's how NXT ends. Again, NXT this week was just a way to set up for NXT uh, spring break in next week. I have no problem with NXT at all. The only thing that I'm kind of having to trip out right now is for the last two weeks. Well, this week and last week, we haven't seen Harlan with Joe Gacy. I haven't read anything about Harlan being injured. That's probably me not looking at something right. But Harlan hasn't been on NXT for the last two weeks. He'll probably make a surprise appearance next week with the whole NXT title matchup. I just want to keep that on record. Harlan has not been on NXT television for the last two weeks. Again, NXT, great. Well, it was a good episode. That wasn't great, but it was a good episode. It still keeps you entertaining, but it was a good episode. You know what you're getting into when you see it. Now, on to AEW Dynamite before I get to the results. Next week, it will be on Dynamite. We will get our unification matchup for the Ring of Honor Women's Championship between the champion, Dana Perrazzo, and the interim champion, Mercedes Martinez. As well as next week, we will get another Owen Hart tournament qualifying matchup. It will be Bobby Fish going against Jeff Hardy. And Dynamite would open up with an Owen Hart tournament qualifying matchup between FTR members Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler with CM Punk on commentary for this matchup. The reason why Punk is on commentary for this matchup is because he, just like FTR, loved the Hart family. So that's the reason why all these men are literally at this one uh, spot. Um, Dax would win the match by pinfall when Dax was going to apply the sharpshooter on Cash because Cash had a bum leg. Cash pleaded to Dax not to do it. Dax did think about it but then decided to try to lock in the sharpshooter. But as he tried to, Cash would roll up Dax into a small package, but Dax was able to reverse it, pin Cash with it, and win the matchup. This match was a good match between two guys that um, know each other so well, and, and they had a great video package on YouTube, and they 
Um, the commentary team was great on this match as well because they talked about how these guys know each other for um, a good solid 10 years, teaming up with each other for, yeah, six years, but no, 10, because NXT and all that good stuff. Um, or was it eight? One or the two. They've been teaming up for so long. Now, wrestling years just roll by quick. Um, that they never had a one-on-one matchup ever. So this is the first time they ever got to do it, and they got to do it in a tournament that for a person that they both idolize and they respect so much. And during the matchup, you will see it get physical and serious between both members, as I would predict it last week. And uh, again, great solid match between both of these guys. Dax is a great uh, singles wrestler and a great tag team wrestler. Same thing with Cash. We got to really see Cash uh, shine in this moment. And also, I didn't know this, but... They were doing some uh, spots in this move in this uh, match uh, that they took from Owen Hart versus Bret Hart at WrestleMania 10. Uh, Bret Hart going against Mr. Perfect in one of their series of matches. Uh, I believe Davy Boy going against Bret because somebody put on a compilation of the moves that they did compared to Bret Hart doing it with his competitor in the ring. So. They paid homage to Brett and also Owen in this matchup. So, again, if you have time, please check out this match. This match is really uh, incredible. After this matchup, we would be getting an announcement that at Double or Nothing, it will be CM Punk going against Hangman Page for the AEW World Championship. Punk would leave the commentary table and talked about how when he first got into AEW, he had doubts about hanging with the guys in the back because he's an older guy. He's been away from the ring for uh, seven years. No, longer than seven years, uh, eight years, and he didn't know if he could hang. And he, since he's been back and he's been in the ring for a couple months, Punk has now come to, to the conclusion that he can do this and he can hang with the guys in the back. And Punk mentions that a double or nothing is will be him going against Hangman and they're going to wrestle at Las Vegas. And he isn't a gambling man, but he will always bet on himself. And at double or nothing, win, lose, or draw, Hangman will know that he has been in a fight with CM Punk. So I think Hangman's going to win this because Punk doesn't like lying to the fans. He's always made that uh, statement for his character all the time. So him just stating that win, lose, or draw, that tells me that he's not going to win. But you will get a good match between Punk and Hangman Page. After this, we will get a six-man tag match, or as AEW like to use, the trios match. Between the Blackpool Combat Club, that is Brian Danielson, Wheeler Yuta, and John Moxley, and William Regal was on commentary for this. Going against the Factories, Nick Camarado, QT Marshall, and Aaron Solo, who had Anthony Agogo in their corner. Blackpool Combat Club would win the match when Yuta pinned Camarado in the middle of the ring, as on his uh, each side of him. He had Moxley and Danielson both applying a submission lock on QT and Aaron as that was happening. So it was a nice, cool visual. I like that they got it with the hard cam with a nice establishing sh- establishing shot. I like that they did that so the uh, crowd at home could see that. Great finish. Uh, after this, we would get Lance Archer with Jake Roberts going against Warlow. MGF and Sean Spears again weren't in the skybox watching this matchup. Warlow would win the match by pinfall when he hit Lance Archer with four power bombs. Then pinned them to win the matchup. Uh, two guys just slugging it out. That's just what this whole match was about. Lance Archer's a real physical guy, and Warlow can give it right back. And that's what you got in this match between Archer and Warlow. So, the, again, now this makes it 2-0. Oh, a Warlow just basically beating 
guys that MGF has put in front of Warlow, because ultimately we know MGF is going to go against Warlow, but we just don't know when. We don't know if it's that double or nothing or later down the line, but that's where we're building it up to. And later in the night, we would see MGF and Sean Spears in a backstage interview, and MGF will make a call to someone, and in the call he says, hey, big man, how about having a match for six figures? And apparently MGF got the go-ahead, and he hangs up the phone, and he lets Warlow know that next week he will be going against someone that is smarter than him, stronger than him, and taller than him. And MGF will finish his line by saying, and you can't teach that. So that implies that it's going to be W. Morrissey. W. Morrissey has been an impact for the last year, so we could see him making a special uh, appearance Next week on AEW Dynamite, that would be fire to me. And hopefully we get him with Enzo there. But Enzo, I don't think he's signed with MLW. He's been making appearances with MLW. He hasn't been said that he's signed a contract. But just in case, I hope that they bring the total package of Enzo and Morrissey together. Because, again, it was completely uh, terrorism how WWE split up Enzo and W. Morrissey when they are in WWE as Enzo Amore and Big Cass. It was stupid how they split them up, but again, WWE logic at that time, we will never understand it, and uh, that's just one of the big mysteries of why did you split these two guys up. It's going to be one of the big mysteries of all time. After this, we will get a in-ring segment. It is the Jericho Appreciation Society supposedly having a sit-down with Kingston and Santana in the middle of the ring. There was a table there. There were five chairs on one side, three chairs on the other. Uh, the stipulation for this sit-down was that nobody from either group could lay hands on anybody and if so you will be suspended and there will be fines let me just say this right now kingston was not thrilled doing this he even makes it clear that he hates the sports entertainment crap you see jericho get into it with santana and ortiz on the mic you see daniel garcia getting a little chops off on the mic and kingston and jericho ultimately would get into it and i'm about to play the clip of it now what are you gonna do kingston and have Tony Khan fire you and get kicked out of another company? No wrestling company wants you. This is your last chance. So stand there, shut your mouth, and do what you're told, bitch. Look in my eyes, Chris. I live behind my eyes. I can smell the fear coming off you. You bitch, I can smell it. When you say a hit in our world, you gotta be prepared to put someone in the ground. Guess what, Chris? We've done it before. And we'll put you guys in the ground too. Are you ready to do that? Are you prepared? Nah. Now, after Kingston says this to Jericho, Kingston, Santana, Ortiz would leave the ring. And later in the night, we would see a aftermath of what happened. We saw uh, Santana and Ortiz laid out. And you saw Jake Hager and I believe Daniel Garcia hold up Kingston so Jericho could throw a fireball into Kingston's face. And then you saw the Jericho Appreciation Society leave out. I believe there'll probably be some repercussions next week on Dynamite. We shall see. I don't know, but I like the way this storyline is uh, going. After this, we would get our Philly Street fight of Serena Deed going against Hukaru Shida. This was basically their rubber match. Both women have two wins apiece on each other. Serena Deed would win the match by submission when Serena would have Shida in the Serenity Lock. And once Shida didn't tap out, Deed would let go of the hold and start slamming Shida's knee on a chair multiple times then lock in Texas Cloverleaf, and then Sheeta had to tap out. During this matchup, you saw women use kendo sticks and a lot of chairs. Uh, 
it was a great match. It wasn't like the typical Philly Street Fight where you see them use everything under the table, like under everything under the ring, like tables and all this type of stuff. We did see uh, Serena did, however, pull out a bag of powder and throw it into Shia's face. And this is the first time in my time in a long time, I could believe, seeing somebody actually get a bottle of water and actually like pour it onto their face and kind of clear out the powder out of their face. They usually just go into the ending of the match whenever something like that happens. So I was glad to see that when uh, Sheeta got powder into her face and got a water bottle and like just poured onto her face. I was happy to see that. The little small details are always appreciated once you've seen almost everything been done before. So just seeing that, I was really, really uh, appreciative of this. After the match, we would see Thunder Rosa watching the match like behind the scenes. And this could be implying that Sheeta is next in line for an AEW Women's Championship matchup against the champion Thunder Rosa. We will see. After this, we would see the lights go out and then a spotlight would hit the stage. And once the spotlight hit the stage, we saw Fuego Del Sol's body laid out. House of Black will walk into the spotlight and you see Buddy Murphy, or as better known AEW, Buddy Matthews and Brody King hold up Fuego. And Malachi was planning to unmask Fuego, but then you will hear Alex Abrahante's voice speaking to the House of Black. As he hear the voice, you then see the camera cut to the ring, and as you see a figure in the ring dressed up in the Alex-like cloak. So House of Black will make their way down to the ring. Ultimately, this was all a decoy. Uh, Penta and Pac would walk out on the stage, and then you would start seeing the person underneath the cloak unmask and uncloak themselves, and it was the returning Phoenix. So ultimately, it turned into the House of Black going against the Death Triangle in a brawl. The Death Triangle got the better of this, uh, kicking the House of Black out of the ring. And as the House of Black would all come together on the ramp, walking back up it, you see each member smiling. So we're probably going to get some type of six-man tag between House of Black and Death Triangle. I can't wait to see it. I'm happy Phoenix is back, and you get to see the Lucha Brothers and Pac Hopefully, the Death Triangle will stay together and none of these guys will get injured because at a time was either Penta was gone and you got Phoenix and Pac or either you had Pac gone, you had uh, Penta and Phoenix and then you have, well, now Phoenix was gone and you just had Penta and Pac. So now that all three men are here, hopefully these guys get to hook together and stay together as a unit because these three guys are incredible when you get to see them do what they do. Now, after this, we will have our 10-man tag matchup. It is the Undisputed Elite, which is consists of the Young Bucks, Red Dragon, and Adam Cole going against Dante Martin, Varsity Blondes, Lee Johnson, and Brock Anderson. You know what time it is. The Undisputed Elite will win the match. They will win it by pinfall when the Young Bucks and Red Dragon hit a four-way BTE trigger on Lee Johnson, and then Cole will deliver the boom, which again is a running knee to behind his opponent's head, and in this case will be Lee Johnson's head. Hit him with it, then cover him for the win. After the match, Adam Cole and Red Dragon would hand Young Bucks t-shirts that say the Undisputed Elite on it. They were the same shirts that Cole and Red Dragon were all wearing coming down to Solidarity. The Young Bucks didn't wear it. But after the match, they took the t-shirts, they wore it, and they all did their pose. And it was one big uh, symbolism of them staying united as a solidarity thing. I don't see this thing lasting so long. I see something at double or nothing probably happening. And then Red Dragon uh, getting upset with the Young Bucks and beating up on them. Cole's probably going to try to run out there. And it looks like Cole's going to do something. But Cole's going to join in on Red Dragon beating up 
on uh, the Young Bucks, and then we're going to probably have some at the Forbidden Door, just like I said last week, and my whole idea is Kenny's going to come back. You see Ibushi, Kota Ibushi, with Kenny, because remember, this is a New Japan uh, dealing partnership with AEW. This is supposed to be their big super event. So you get Kenny, Ibushi, and then the fresh-faced Young Bucks. They go back to their old attire, the colorful uh, attire with shaven face and all that type of stuff. Kind of rewind the uh, time machine for them. And you just get a good glimpse of these four big, super elite guys standing on that stage looking down at the undisputed elite of Red Dragon and Adam Cole, Jay White, and whatever is going to be of the Bullet Club at that time. Because I see a big super war coming out of that whole Forbidden Door uh, pay-per-view. But again, we will have to see what happens. Again, I'm just throwing my ideas out here of what could happen. Now it's time for the main event of uh, Dynamite. You will have your ladder match for the TNT Championship. It is Sammy Guevara with Ty Conti going against Scorpio Sky, who had Dan Lamberg in his corner. Scorpio Sky would win the match. He is now a two-time TNT champion when he shoved Sammy Guevara off the ladder and unhooked the championship. There are a couple highlights in this match that I do want to uh, lay out to you. Sky will catch Sammy jumping off of a ladder and hit him with a cutter or RKO for uh, people that don't understand what a cutter is. Sammy would miss a Phoenix 630 uh, splash and end up crashing on the map because Scorpio wasn't uh, close enough to catch Sammy at that moment. So Sammy, like, popped onto the mat. You would see Paige Van Zandt and Ty Conti get involved in the matchup. And at one point, you saw both of them, like, put a sleeper hold on the opposition. You had Paige put a sleeper hold on Sammy as he was trying to climb up the ladder. And you saw Ty Conti put a sleeper hold on Scorpio as he climbed up the ladder. Uh, another thing, another highlight was Sammy Guevara would hit a Spanish fly on Scorpio Sky on a ladder to have barbed wire on it. So that was the first time I've ever seen a ladder with barbed wire. I'm not sure if they've done it, if any other wrestling company has done it before. Probably have, but this is the first time I've ever seen it. But anyway, uh, those were the highlights. I mean, there was a whole lot of good things going on in this matchup. I just didn't like the Phoenix 630 situation because there was no need for that. Because Scorpio Sky wasn't like laid out on the ground. He was standing up. If he was laid out on the ground and then he did that, I would be like, okay, cool. I can see where you're going with it. But no, he was standing up. There was no need for that. So, Sammy, if you think of any ideas that dangerous again, please go to an agent and talk to them about it and please have them tweak that idea because we want you to wrestle for a long time. We do. And you be taking some really, really uh, risky maneuvers and risky chances that you don't need to be taking. I understand you're a young guy. Your body heals up and you get bruised up. You get to heal up. Yeah, sure, you'll be sore for a little bit. But ultimately, you uh, have the recovery time way faster than somebody, I'll say, of an older guy trying to perform a move like that. But in the meanwhile, please think some of those moves over and have an agent. Just talk to him about it and just please... Tweak them a little bit because we want you to wrestle for a long time. And I just want to say that it's not out of hatred. It's all out of love when I say that, okay? After the match, you would see Scorpio celebrating in the ring with Dan Lambert, Paige Van Sant, and Ethan Page would run out. Then you see Kazarian walk down to the ring in a black suit. Remember, Kazarian had a talk with Scorpio last week. because Scorpio told Kaz, I know you want to be TNT champion, but let me get at uh, Sammy so I can gain back my title. And you'll get the first shot. So that's what happens. Kaz comes down. He's in a black suit. He gets in the ring. You see Dan Lamberg and Ethan Page not happy about this. They're just me mugging Kaz. You see 
Ethan shouting at Kazarian to get out of here, but Scorpio Sky will walk in between Ethan Page and Dan Lamberg and do his SCU handshake with Kazarian, and this was solidified that Kazarian does get a future TNT Championship opportunity, and that's how Dynamite ends with Scorpio basically uh, in a celebration winning back the TNT Championship. Dynamite, great episode. I really highly recommend you guys watching it. But also, you probably want to tune in next week, too, because I don't know what else is going to happen. But Dynamite this week was extremely uh, well made. And I was thoroughly uh, I was thoroughly entertained. Now on to Impact Wrestling. Um, Impact Wrestling this past week had a pay-per-view event called Rebellion. And I'm going to read you off the results of Rebellion quickly before I get into what happened on this week's episode of Impact Wrestling. At Rebellion, on the pre-show, we had Eddie Edwards defeating Chris Bay. It was originally supposed to be Eddie Edwards going against Jonathan Gresham, but Gresham had to pull out because he was injured, so they had to be so he was replaced by Chris Bay. Eddie Edwards will win by pinfall. On the pre-show, you had The Influence, which is Madison Rain and Tennille Dashwood defending and retaining their Knockouts World Tag Team Championships over The Inspiration, uh, Cassie Lee and Jesse McKay by pinfall. And it was announced this week as well that The Inspiration will be stepping away from ring uh, competition indefinitely. And I wish them nothing but success in whatever they do next. I hope it's nothing like bad, like injury like type of thing. I hope that they just wanted to be like stepping away from the ring and just like to regroup and probably for another business venture. I wish nothing but the best. Hopefully everything's all good and nobody's like hurt like seriously. Um and now for the matches that happened on the Rebellion uh show, you have Steve Macklin defeating both Chris Saber and Jay White by pinfall in a triple threat match. The next match that that happened after that was Ty Valkyrie going against Deanna Perrazzo for the AAA Reina Del Reina Championship. Taya Valkyrie would win that, and now she is a four-time AAA Reina Del Reina Champion. After this, you had the triple threat match for the Impact X Division Championship. You had Ace Austin going against champion Trey Miguel and Mike Bailey. Ace Austin would win the match when he has to fold on Trey Miguel uh, for the win. So Ace Austin is now a three-time Impact X Division Champion. After this, we had Tomohiro Ishii making his Impact debut as he went against Jonah. He would hit a Brain Buster on Jonah to win the match by pinfall. After this, we had our eight-team elimination challenge for the Impact World Tag Team Championships. Uh, the order of elimination went like this. The first two teams started off was Jordan Grace and W. Morrissey going against the major players, which are Brian Myers and Matt Cardona. Matt Cardona and Brian Myers would eliminate Jordan Grace and W. Morrissey. Then after that, the Good Brothers would come in, and the Good Brothers would eliminate the major players. And then the next team that came after that was Johnny Swinger and Zicky Dice. They would be eliminated by the Good Brothers. The next following team was Rich Swan and Willie Mack. They would be eliminated by the Good Brothers. At this point, the Good Brothers are on our streak. And then Honor No More would come out, but it was um, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett. And they easily snuck up and pinned the Good Brothers by uh, sneakily under tactics because the Good Brothers were distracted by uh, Kenny King and Vincent when this happened. And then you had Heath and Rhino coming out, and then they end up beating Taven and Bennett. So the last two teams of this gauntlet match were Violence by Design, which were represented by Eric Young and Joe Doring going against Heath and Rhino. And Violet by Design would win the match, so they retained their Impact World Tag Team Championships. After this, you had the Impact Knockouts 
uh, championship. You had Tasha Steeles defending and retaining her championship over Rosemary by pinfall. And in the main event for the Impact World Championship, you had Josh Alexander defeating Moose when he's a C4 spike to win the Impact World Championship. And it made it extra special because his son and his wife were out there. His son came out doing his uh, father's entrance and they both were in like ring gear, the singlet and the mouthpiece and the whole nine yards with the headgear. So it was a nice father-son moment. And at the end of the match, he got to celebrate with his wife and his uh, kid. So that was a nice way to end off rebellion. Now on to Impact uh, Wrestling results. Um, before I get into that also, it was broadcasted on the show that next week on Impact will be Jonah going against PCO in a Monsters Ball match, which is basically a no-holds-barred match. Ace Austin will be defending his X Division Championship against Rocky Romero. And W. Morrissey will be going against Brian Myers in a tables match next week on Impact. Now onto the Impact uh, results. Um, Impact starts off with a violence by design in-ring promo. Eric Young starts off by saying power and control. That's what they deserved. And that's what they took at Rebellion because they beat seven of the best teams that the world had to offer. And they say that violence by design is permanent. And if you're honest with yourself, there's no team in the world that can do anything about it. Then you would get Heath and Rhino coming out to the ring because they were the last team that Violence by Design did face off in the gauntlet. Rhino tells them that they want retribution and they want those tag titles. Then the Briscoe Brothers music would hit and the Briscoes would come out. Jay Briscoe will get a mic and say that everywhere they've been, they have won tag titles and this will be no different. They're here in Impact to win the Impact tag team titles. Heath tells the Briscoes that he's happy that they're here, but the Briscoes are at the back of the line while Rhino and Heath are at the front of the line. Jay says that he doesn't wait in line. So then you would get a uh, back and forth exchange between the Briscoes, Heath, and Rhino. Eric Young would take the mic. He said, hey, this seems like a you guys problem, not an us problem. And Eric would propose that both of the teams will go at it. And whoever is left standing, they will see them later. Violet by Design will leave the ring, and then we would get our tag match. The Briscoes going against Heath and Rhino. The Briscoes would win the match by pinfall when Jay hits a neck breaker and then Mark has a froggy elbow on Rhino for the win. So it was announced that the Briscoe brothers will be facing violence by design at under siege for the impact tag titles, which will happen next week on May 7th. After this, we have the matchup of VSK going against Bupinder Gujir. Gujir would win the match by pinfall when Gujir hits a power slam, then a second turnbuckle spear, which he now calls the gargoyle spear for the win. After the match, Raj Singh, a guy that's been constantly going up to uh, Gujir for months now trying to recruit him, but Gujir's always been pushing him off. So uh, Raj Singh will come down with Shira down to the ring. Raj would try again to talk to Gujir, but Gujir would insist that he's good, and then Shira will walk up to Gujir angry and just start shouting at him. So now you get Gujir and Shira just wanting to get at each other, but Gujir would yell at Shira to watch this as he will walk over to VSK, grab him by the throat, throw him onto his shoulders, and hit a slam. Then you would get Shira and Gujira just getting nose-to-nose, face-to-face with each other, but Raj would get in between them and get Shira out of the ring and himself out of the ring. So we're going to get a Shira versus Bupinder Gujira match probably next week on Impact, or if not next week, two weeks from now. That's the latest that they can stall this thing out. After this, we would get a six-man Tag team matchup, Honor No More, which was represented by Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett, who are accompanied by Kenny King and Maria, will be going against Mike Bailey and the Motor City Machine Guns. 
Honor No More would win the match by pinfall when Eddie had Mike Bailey in a in the diehard driver as Bennett and Taven hit a double super kick on Bailey at the time that Eddie was holding him up. And then he hits the diehard driver for the win. After the match, you would get Bullet Club, the Good Brothers, uh, Jay White and Chris Bay coming down to the ring and attacking Honor No More. And what would end up being the Good Brothers basically hitting Kenny King with uh, the Magic Killer as the rest of the members of Honor No More watch on the entrance ramp. And it was announced that at Under Siege, it will be a 5-1-5 matchup. Bullet Club, which consists of the Good Brothers, Jay White, Chris Bay, and El Fantasmo, going against Honor No More, who was represented by Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, Vincent, and Kenny King. After this, we will have a Taya Valkyrie in-ring promo. Taya would come down to the ring. The fans would be shouting Taya Valkyrie. Or wear a loca because that's her uh, nickname that she got from uh, Lucha Underground. And Taya will mention that over the last year, she has had time to reflect as she was away from her family and friends and watch as her creativity and passion dies or be held captive. And if anybody knows, she was in WWE uh, developmental uh, system NXT as Frankie Monet. And they did uh, rarely anything with her, to be honest with you. I mean, they had a whole lot of possibilities, but at the time, if you remember NXT at that time, they were really like focusing on uh, Raquel Gonzalez and like the beginning of toxic attraction situations. So Frankie Monet or Taya Valkyrie basically came in at the wrong time. But again, her creativity and her uh, ability got squandered. They released her. So now she's back in Impact and that's a good thing that she gets to be creative anyway. She says now that she's back in Impact, she knows who she is. And then Taya will mention that she took out Deanna Peraza at Rebellion to win the Reina Del Reina Championship for a fourth time. Deanna wouldn't like this. She would come and attack uh, Taya Valkyrie from behind and then lock in the Fujiwara armbar on Taya until Rosemary and Havoc will come out. Deanna would leave the ring and let go of the hold as Rosemary... And having got in the ring, you then see Rosemary and Taya both look at each other. As commentary will mention that they both have history together. Uh, this was during the pandemic time where they had the little Russell house. That's whenever Taya and Rosemary basically got into a whole lot of segments uh, during that time whenever the pandemic in 2020 was going down. Uh, they will continue to stare at each other until... Tasha Steeles and Savetta Evans will come down so they can have their tag team matchup to go against Rosemary and Havoc. They have this match. Rosemary and Havoc would win the match by pinfall when Havoc would hit Savannah Evans with a backbreaker and then Rosemary would hit Savannah Evans with a spear to win the match. At Under Siege, it was announced that Deanna Peraza will be facing Taya Valkyrie for the Reina de Reina's Championship and Havoc will be facing Tasha Steeles for the Knockouts Championship since Havoc was the one that pinned Savannah Evans in that tag matchup. Now, in the main event of Impact Wrestling, we had a rematch from Rebellion. It was Moose going against the new and defending Impact World Champion, Josh Alexander. These two had a slugfest. In the last minutes, Josh Alexander would win the match by pinfall when Josh would hit a powerbomb, then flip Moose over and hit him with a C4 spike for the win. Moose technically had the match won, but he played games too much, and this is allowing, and that allowed Josh to basically win the match. After the match, Tomohiro Ishii would walk down to the ring, get face to face with Josh Alexander, and 
point at the Impact World Championship, and it was made official that Ishii will be going against Josh for the Impact World Championship at Under Siege, which again happens next week on May the 7th, and that was your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights for the week. Impact was a good show. There was nothing, like, bad about it. I personally liked uh, the six-man tag match. I liked the multi-man uh, tag matches a lot, and the main event was one that I think that if you like uh, Josh Alexander and you like Moose, you would definitely want to watch that one. But again, Impact was a good show, and also if you like the Briscoes, you probably just want to see their uh, in-ring uh, Impact Wrestling debut, technically, since they're on the show now, going against Heath and Rhino. But again, Impact, good show, nothing bad to say about it. Now off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a steel cage match between Drew McIntyre and Sami Zayn. This is their third match in three weeks because the last two following matches, Sami Zayn would run out of the ring and basically get counted out. This time, there was no running away. Drew McIntyre would win the match by pinfall when Drew caught Sami Zayn at the top of the cage trying to escape. He grabs him and he ends up superplexing him off the cage and then hits a claymore kick on sammy to win the match it was a nice opening matchup for smackdown uh in the list of steel cage matches i understand WWE programming they don't use a lot of blood but this one just seemed rather weak to me but again this was a weak rivalry so hey it is what you get for this uh after this you get a happy talk segment corbin's out here and he talks about madcap moss he mentioned that he made Madcap, and at WrestleMania Backlash, he's going to beat him and prove that he isn't as good as he thinks he is. Corbin would then call up for the Andre the Giant trophy to be brought to the ring so he can destroy it. Two men would carry the trophy to the inside of the ring, and then Corbin would ask for a sledgehammer. One of the men was Madcap Moss in disguise, and then once Corbin asked for the sledgehammer, he started unmasking himself, and he shows that he's Madcap. He grabs the sledgehammer. And then he lunges at Corbin. Corbin would duck the shot and Moss would then drop the hammer and start punching Corbin. As he does this, he gets Corbin into a corner, start punching him some more. Then hits a spear on Corbin in the corner and then tosses him out of the ring. Moss would then go over to his Andre the Giant trophy and start hugging it and kissing up on it because that's his baby since he won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal this year. And it just becomes official that at WrestleMania Backlash, it will be Corbin going against Madcap Moss. After this, we will have our Intercontinental Championship matchup. Ricochet defending the title against Shanky, who had Jinder Mahal in his corner. Ricochet would win the match by pinfall when Ricochet was on the top turnbuckle looking to dive on Shanky. But Shanky distracted the referee, and this allowed Jinder to get on the ring apron and swipe at one of Ricochet's legs and drop him on the top turnbuckle. Shanky will go over to Ricochet and grab him up, put him on his shoulders, and he's looking to hit Wasteland, which is basically a uh, shoulder-to-slam-on-the-mat situation. It's basically Wade Barrett's old finisher when he was in WWE in 20, 2011, 2012, before he used like the forearm. But Ricochet will slip out of that and fold up Shanky for the win. After the match, Ricochet will roll out of the ring, and then you see Jinder Mahal get in the ring and start berating Shanky, told him, asking him what was he thinking. You had the match won, and just constantly just shout at him. Shanky will end up uh, giving Jinder the mad face and tell him enough, and then you see Shanky walk out of the ring and walk to the back. So this tells you there's going to be some dissension between Shanky and Jinder, and Shanky's more or less going to be on his way. And personally, Shanky's too big, and he's not... Uh, 
like he doesn't have like the thickness for his tall body to be precise with you he's a tall like linky dude and the whole deal with him is that he's not like veer he's not like gender he's not like omas like these guys are like uh omas is a tall dude but he's like he's like built to be tall like he has some muscle mass with him when you see shanky not so much so i don't know how what they're gonna do with shanky if they decide to split him up from gender i don't see him as like this big uh vicious like bad guy I see Jinder being that guy for this situation. Jinder will probably be, not Jinder, but uh, Shanky will probably be like the good guy that somebody would probably want to team up with. Like I can see Shanky and Mansoor doing something in the tag division if they want to do that. But that's just my idea of what they should do with Shanky after uh, this whole split between Jinder and Shanky. But again, Ricochet won the match. I'm glad they're still pushing Ricochet and giving Ricochet a lot of airtime for that It's Kind of Championship. I, I love it. Uh, after this, we would get Raquel Gonzalez or Raquel Rodriguez. Sorry, that's her name on the main roster. Uh, in-ring debut on SmackDown as she goes against uh, Kat Cardoza, which her independent name is Layla Gray. Uh, Raquel would win the match by pinfall when she hits the Chicona bomb on Cardoza for the win. It was basically a one-sided matchup. This is Raquel's uh, debut on the main roster whenever you're debuting they always give you like this match that you dominate so she basically dominated this match i mean layla gray or cat cardoza in wwe terms she did get a couple moves off but raquel uh rodriguez got uh 90 percent of the match off in her uh direction after this, it'll be time for the RK Bro and the Usos to have their contract signing for their match at WrestleMania Backlash for the Tag Team Championships uh, unification. We will get both teams in the ring, and as usual, we will get chit-chat before a brawl breaks loose. The Usos will tell RK Bro that they're the twos and the Usos are the ones. Riddle would tell Randy and Adam Pearce that the Usos need name tags because he can't tell them apart. Then you would get Randy telling Riddle how he could tell both of them apart. You know, that is so funny. They've been here a long time. I have never had a problem telling these two gentlemen apart. You see, this one, this one right here. Okay, check it out. He's the right-hand man. And this one right here, he's nothing but a little bitch. Now, once Randy insults Jimmy, Jimmy decides to lunge over the table and punch Randy in the face, and that's when your brawl would ensue. RK Bro would get the best of this, and they would take both Usos into individual corners and start stomping them out. Then you'll hear Roman's music hit. Roman would saunter down to the ring, taking this nice little slow time. And then RK Bro would just stop what they're doing to the Usos, turn over, look at uh, Roman as he's standing there on the stage. And this would allow the Usos to attack RK Bro from behind. The Usos would hit Randy with a double super kick. And then they'll hit the 1D, the one and done, or better known as the 3D, made famous by the Dugley Boys or Team 3D. That's what they're naming uh, Impact. Anyway, then you see Roman come in the ring and you'll have the Usos hold up Riddle. Roman would hold up the contract that no team signs. He ends up tearing it up in front of Riddle's face, shoving it in Riddle's mouth and start punching him in the head over and over again. Then you'll hear Drew McIntyre's music hit. He'll come down to the ring. He beats up on both of the Usos and then you see Drew and Roman lock eyed eye and then you see both of them start throwing hands drew would get roman into a corner hit him with a belly to belly suplex and then roman will run out of the ring well not run out but he'll roll out of the ring and then you see the bloodline standing 
at the entrance stage looking at Riddle, Orton, and Drew holding the ring, holding it down in the ring. Well, you would see Paul Heyman talk to Adam Pearce in the back, and he would tell Adam Pearce that you need to scrap that whole unification matchup, and instead, I'll give you a better matchup. How about a six-man matchup between RK-Bro and Drew McIntyre going against the Usos and the undisputed Universal Heavyweight Champion Roman Reigns? Pierce says that he can't really do that because he's been promising a unification matchup and he doesn't have the power for that. Paul says, you know what? I like a guy that will stand on this principle even though it will cost him his job because Paul threatens Pierce with the idea of going to the board of directors because you are denying the WWE Universe their opportunity to see the Tribal Chief at Backlash. So Adam Pearson ends up making the match official at WrestleMania Backlash. It will be a six-man matchup instead of the title unification matchup. I believe we're probably going to get that matchup later down the line because I don't think they're completely scrapping it. But at WrestleMania Backlash, all right, fine. You still get Roman on the card and people will uh, be enticed to see Roman with his uh, cousins. I got no beef with that. After this, you would get Naomi with Sasha Banks in her corner going against Shayna Baszler, who had Natalia in her corner. Naomi would win the match by pinfall when Naomi would hit a sunset flip on Shayna Baszler after throwing Shayna into uh, the second turnbuckle head first and cover her for the win. After the match, Natalia would attack Naomi. Sasha would get in the ring and attack Natalia, throw her outside of the ring, run off, try to go for a baseball slide, but Natalia would uh, hit Sasha in mid-slide and then lock in the sharpshooter on Sasha Banks while she's in the ropes. And as this is happening, you see Shayna Baszler taking care of Naomi, and you see Shayna tell Natalia to hold Sasha and make Sasha watch this as you see uh, Shayna put Naomi's arm in a position and then stomp on it, and you see Naomi basically holding her arm, so it seems like Naomi kind of fractured it after this situation, but... We shall see as the weeks progress because next week, Sasha Banks is going against Shayna Baszler. And in two weeks, Naomi and Sasha will be defending their tag team championships against Natalya and Shayna Baszler on SmackDown. After this, you would get Rich Holland with Sheamus in his corner going against Xavier Woods with Kofi Kingston in his corner. Xavier Woods would win the match by pinfall when Ridge was going to powerbomb Xavier, but Xavier would slip out of the move and hit the backwoods, which is an inside cradle pin for the win. Nice solid match between Xavier and Ridge, but after the match, Sheamus got on the mic, called Kofi out for a matchup. Kofi accepted it, and that's what we have now. Sheamus would win the match by pinfall when Kofi would jump off the top uh, turnbuckle, and Sheamus would catch him in midair with a knee to the face, and then hit Kofi with a bro kick for the win. After the match, Ridge would attack Xavier on the outside of the ring, and Sheamus would go underneath the ring to grab a table. He'll set it up outside. Ridge would powerbomb Xavier through the table. And then next week on SmackDown, it was announced that it will be the New Day going against Ridge and Sheamus in a tables match. I hope that they end this feud soon. I know they're probably just waiting for Biggie to come back, but Biggie has a fractured neck and it's going to take him some time to like heal up. So you could end this feud possibly next week and allow the New Day to go off about their business and do something else and allow Sheamus and Ridge to do something else. That's what I'm hoping after this table match next week. Because I'm tired of seeing these four guys uh, basically interact with each other. I'm kind of getting a little bit sick of it. That's just my opinion on it. After this, we would get Ronda Rousey going against Shotzi in an I Quit Beat the Clock Challenge. It's basically 
a regular standard I quit match, and it takes you for however long it takes you, that's your score. Charlotte Flair was outside at ringside watching his matchup as Ronda would make shots to say I quit in 1 minute and 41 seconds by locking in the ankle lock. So after this, Charlotte would get on the mic, tell Ronda to do her victory lap because this would be the last win she's ever going to get. Charlotte would call out Aaliyah, her opponent, so she can get this done with. Charlotte would have to go against Aaliyah in an I quit beat the clock challenge. Again, standard I quit rules, but this time, Charlotte has to beat the 1 minute and 41 seconds. If she doesn't, she loses the beat the clock challenge to Ronda Rousey. Charlotte did not beat Ronda Rousey's uh, time. She did not make Aaliyah say I quit in 1 minute and 41 seconds, so Ronda did win the beat the clock challenge because Charlotte was playing around at the beginning stages of the matchup, and then when she finally realized that it was about 25 seconds into the match, well, to the match technically ends the time ends, uh, she tries to lock in the figure four. Aaliyah kicks it out of the ring, and then she runs back into the ring when there's about 10 seconds left. She locks in the figure four, tries to transition it over to the figure eight, and once she does it and gets it successfully, the actual time stops, and that's when the bell rings, and Aaliyah will tap out like three seconds after that. So again, Charlotte would lose the beat the clock challenge to Ronda Rousey. After the match, Ronda would point at Charlotte and tease at her as she walks up the ramp. Charlotte would just stand in the ring, catch her breath, and just soak in the anger that she just basically couldn't beat Ronda's time. She will walk over to the timekeeper, who happens to be Drew Gulak, because Gulak was timekeeping for all the matches throughout the night, and blames Gulak for what happened. Charlotte would big boot Drew in the face. Drew would leave the ring and in, well leave the timekeeper's area and into the ring as Charlotte would grab the ring bell follow Drew, and hit him in the back, and as Drew's laying down on the mat, Charlotte would just constantly berate him by saying, you only have one job, ring the bell, ring the bell, and that's how SmackDown ends with Charlotte berating Drew Gulak. Uh, Charlotte uh, doing this, it fits her narrative, it fits the character, it fits that she's now starting to crack and crumble, because now it's going to be her going against Ronda at WrestleMania Backlash, an I quit match, and her whole persona is that she can beat Ronda Rousey in almost anything. And if for her not to beat Ronda Rousey's time in this, this is starting to show cracks in the whole facade of Charlotte Flair. And I'm cool with this. SmackDown was all right. It was cool if you missed it. You didn't really miss much. Now on to AEW Rampage. Rampage opens up with the Owen Hart tournament qualifying matchup. Swerve Strickland going against Darby Allin with staying in his corner. These guys were going at it. You had a big bump at the end of the matchup. Well, technically towards the end of the matchup where Swerve had, was on the ring apron and he ends up suplexing Darby onto the outside of the ring and Swerve falls on the uh, outside as well with him. So both of them hits the mat pretty hard after they were already like throwing and slugging fists and slams at each other throughout the whole matchup. This match lasted for about a good 10 minutes. But within this 10, 10 to 15 minutes, a lot of slime uh, time, these guys were really doing everything they can to make sure that you pay attention to this match. And I was thoroughly entertained. Darby would win the match by pinfall when Swerve hit the suplex on Darby on the outside of the ring. Ricky starts to leave the commentary table and start making his way down to the ring, and he thought he was going to interfere. But Sting would get in between Swerve and Ricky Starks, and Sting would start walking Starks back up the ramp. As this was happening, Swerve would throw Darby back into the ring, 
and as Swerve grabbed Darby, Darby ankle-picked Swerve and turned it into a pinning maneuver for the win. So Darby wins, and he advances into the Owen Hart uh, Foundation Tournament, and the competitors that's also in the tournament now are Darby Allen, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole, Samoa Joe, and Dax Harwood. And remember, on Dynamite this upcoming week, it will be, the I believe, the last final matchup or last final qualifying matchup. Uh, Bobby Fish going against Jeff Hardy. One of those two men will be entering the Owen Hart Tournament next week on Dynamite. After this, we will have a six-woman tag team matchup. Jay Cargill, Red Velvet, and Kiera Hogan, who are known as the baddies collectively, go against Sky Blue, Trisha Dora, and Willow Nightingale. Jay Cargill and the baddies would win the match by pinfall when Jade would hit Trish with the Jaded for the win. It was solid. Because this was Kara Hogan's, uh, I believe, no, this wasn't her in-ring debut, but this is like her first like legit debut. I think she's now on the roster now instead of just being like talent that gets called up from time to time whenever they need somebody on the like on the uh, show. So I think this is her first time actually being a contracted AEW wrestler like on the show. So again, I'm happy for Kara Hogan. She was good with her and Tasha Steeles and Impact, so I'm glad to see her in AEW and she's with Red Velvet and Jay Cargill and the whole baddie uh group stable situation. I like it because these two girls are going to be the sidekicks to Jay Cargill and they can also teach Jay Cargill on the way because Kira Hogan has some years in wrestling underneath her belt. I'm not sure about Red Velvet, but I know Kira Hogan does, so they can easily teach Jade on the way as she's doing her thing and Jade can uh, add some credibility and some superstardom onto Red Velvet and Kira Hogan in exchange for the experience. So it's a win-win situation for both, well, all three ladies at the exact same time with this whole formation. So I'm glad for this. After this, we will get Keith Lee going against Colton Gunn, who had Austin Gunn in his corner. Keith Lee will win the match by pinfall when he hits the Big Bang Catastrophe on uh, Colton for the win. This was Keith Lee's match to win. I mean, this was just a match just to, like, be here. I mean, there's no other reason, rhyme or reason to have this match here. But Keith Lee being on a show, I'm happy for because Keith Lee needs to be on a show. He needs to be involved in a whole lot much more other things. But right now, Swerve Lee going against Team Taz, I'm cool with it. So Keith Lee being on the show for this, I'm cool. After this, we have Dan Housen coming down to the ring and calling out Hook. Hook will come down to the ring and get in Dan Housen's face. Once that happens, you see Dan Housen's face immediately change, and he gets intimidated. It says that they need to do this next week. Hook says, nah, we're going to do this right now. And as the fans were cheering for this, you see Mark Sterling come out on the stage and says that he doesn't want to see this. The fans will boo Mark, and Mark asks them, do you really want to see this? The fans would cheer. He says he doesn't, and this would allow Tony Nese to sneak into the ring and attack both Hook and Dan Housen. Mark will get himself into the ring and try to hold Hook up, but Hook would throw Mark over his shoulder with a judo throw. Tony Nice would try to throw a punch to Hook, but Hook would duck it, grab Nice, and hit a T-bow suplex. Hook would stand there and wait for Nice to get back into the ring, but Nice would wouldn't get back in the ring because Mark would hold Nice back and they start walking up the ramp. Danhausen and Hook looked at each other. Hook. Uh, grabbed Danhausen up by the shirt because Danhausen had his hand out to shake his hand. Hook just grabbed him up, said something to him, and he walked out of the ring. 
Now it's time for the main event for the Ring of Honor Television Championship. It is Samojo defending the title against Trent Barreto, who had Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy in his corner. Samojo will win the match by submission when he hits the Uranagi on Trent and then apply the Coquina Clutch, and then Trent would tap out. After the match, Joe and Barreto would abide by the Code of Honor rules and shake hands, and then you will see Joe have an interview with Tony Schiavone in the ring. Joe's interview would get interrupted by Sanjay Dutt, Jay Lethal, and the big man, Sanam Singh. And as all three of these men were making their way down to the ring, you would see Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, and Trent stand in the middle of the way. You see Orange Cassidy try to take it to the big man, but he couldn't do it. You see Trent taking on Sanjay Dutt. You see Jay Lethal bypass all of this and gets into the ring and him and Samojo to start throwing hands with each other. You see backstage officials run down to the ring to separate Joe and Jay Lethal. And this would continue until, well, Rampage went off air. So that was your lasting image of Rampage of Jay Lethal and Samojo just constantly going at each other. So this shows you that Jay Lethal is going to have a matchup with uh, Samojo somewhere down the line, more or less for the Ring of Honor Television Championship. I'm cool for this because both of them are pillars of Ring of Honor. Samojo of the old school 2002-2004-ish era whenever he was world champion for a long period of time. No, he was world champion in 2000, uh, yeah, 2003-2004 era of Ring of Honor. And he's old school while Jay Lethal was carrying the new school of Ring of Honor in the 2010s in that time frame. So, yeah, I like that. And it's basically teacher versus student. So I like that whole dynamic of Joe and Lethal uh, having this whole thing. Now, the question is, are they going to do it on AEW television? Or are they going to do this on Ring of Honor television when Ring of Honor gets TV? It has not been... Uh, it has not been declared that Ring of Honor is getting television yet. I don't know. There just might be a thing. But I would think since Tony Khan owns Ring of Honor, he's probably going to look for them to get a TV show somewhere. So I don't know how long they're planning on stretching it. So that's just my thing. I know we're getting Joe and Lethal. I just don't know when we're getting it. So I'll just cross my fingers on that one. But anyway, that was your AEW Rampage. You can watch it. It's an hour deal. But if you really want to watch Rampage, you go to the main event and you go to like the women's matchup because again you want to see the chemistry that Jade and Kira Hogan and Red Velvet have. Again, the baddie section with Jay Cargill. I like this unit. Now before I get you guys out of here, Friday was another one of them situations. WWE has released talent uh Friday. They released talent from the NXT brand. They released Dexter Loomis, Malcolm Bivens, Dakota Kai, Harlan, Persia Parada, Raylan Devine, Draco Anthony, Vish Kenya, Mia Malani, and Blair Baldwin. Now, the only names you'll probably be recognizing with is Dexter Loomis, Malcolm Bivens, Dakota Kai, Harlan, and Persia Parada, and Draco Anthony. Draco has been on NXT for these past couple months here and there, but the other five, they've been like a prominent thing on NXT, especially Harlan. Dexter, Malcolm Bivens, and Dakota Kai, and Persia Parada. Because remember, Persia was just in a thing with her and Duke and uh, Dexter and Indy Hartwell. So now you got two of the four of those people now without a job of Persia and Dexter. Malcolm Bivens, he was just with Diamond Mind. He's with Di he's been with Diamond Mind since the beginning. And they were teasing the uh, 
rivalry of Malcolm Bivens basically having Diamond Mine almost turned on Roderick Strong in some way before uh, fashion. Dakota Kai, she was just on NXT television, what, two or three weeks ago, going against Mandy Rose for the NXT Women's Championship. And Harland, he was always the right-hand man of Joe Gacy in this whole NXT situation. So, and I was just asking, literally, where was Harland? So, this tells you everything you needed to know. WWE, at the top, they said, you know, we're just going to let these people go. And apparently, it was reported by... uh, Five full select that certain people in NXT weren't happy about it. Uh, one NXT official expressed fr- uh, frustration today over how several angles, acts, and storylines were impacted with little to no notice or preparation before today's release were handed down. This could be a reference to how Harlan was involved in the current storyline between Joe Gacy and NXT champion Braun Breaker, but was pulled from segments out of nowhere earlier this month. See, there it is right there. And they say regarding Bivens's, uh, Malcolm Bivens' departure, we noted earlier how he made it clear he did not plan on re-signing. WWE pushed him to resign last year, which led to a short extension. Then they asked him to re-sign again this past February, but he reportedly made it clear he did not want to re-sign. Word now is that Bivens was actually offered a new contract in February, but he turned it down and told WWE he would not be staying. It was also noted that there had been a significant push within the WWE Digital Department to feature Bivens and more content. Kai was said to have seen her release coming. She reportedly indicated to WWE officials that she was not planning on renewing her contract. So both Bivens and Kai both knew what was up. They didn't want to re-sign with WWE, so they were cool with that. And the NXT talents that were released Friday are all under uh, 30-day non-complete clauses. What that means is that they cannot show up to AEW, Impact, uh, any other wrestling promotion within those 30 days. After those 30 days, they can go wherever they want, and they're free. But until those 30 days are done, they have to sit at home and probably just like plan their next moves for what they're going to do. And then legally, after May 29th, they can publicize what they're going to be doing. Uh, It was noted that WWE talent relations head John Laurinaitis issued an internal email to the company this afternoon, uh, Friday, to announce the departures. According to Fightful Select, he cited budget cuts as the reasons for his releases. Due to budgetary cuts and and with immediate effects as of today, April 29th, 2022, we have come to terms to the release of the following, the eternal email from Laurinaitis Red. See, my whole thing is that I'm, I I don't like people getting fired, okay? Unless you really deserve it and you've done like a horrible job, then I can say, all right, you got to kick the bucket and you got to leave. But here's my deal. Dexter Loomis, he was on NXT prominently. That's a problem. Malcolm Bivens, he didn't want to be there, so I can see why you want to let him go fine, whatever. But I would have wished you guys would have finished the storyline out with Diamond Mine and Bivens and Roderick Strong. That would have been great. Dakota Kai, you can say you kind of finished her off two to three weeks ago, so okay. Harland, you guys didn't, you guys had him like stationed with Joe Gacy. How could you guys let him go? Persia Parada, the same thing. You had her stationed out with uh, Dexter and Indy, and um, Duke Hudson. That's still one of those things I don't understand it. How are you letting, if anybody out of this list shocks me after reading everything, Dexter Loomis, Persia, and Har- and Harlan. Everybody else, yeah, okay, cool, you can release. Malcolm Bivens, I still would have wished you would have 
finish that out with Diamond Mine, but hey, they did what they did because you didn't want to re-sign, so they were saying, all right, we cool on that. Dakota Kai, the same thing. They say that you don't want to re-sign, all right, you cool on that. So they want to release you, okay, cool. But Dexter Loomis, Persia, Har- Persia Parada, and Harlan is just... Uh, it's one of those things that just still shocks me, but it's, again, it's WWE business, and business is business. They got to continue doing what they've been doing. So, I mean, it is what it is for them. I just wish that you would have kept Harlan around and Persia and Dexter because you could have finished out the story with Dexter, Persia, uh, Indy, and Duke. You could have finished that out, and then if you want to fire the two, then you would have do that. But Harlan, he was with Joe Gacy with this big main event thing that they were doing with Joe Gacy leading into, literally, this upcoming NXT with spring breaking with Joe Gacy going against uh, Braun Breaker for the NXT championship. This is literally what we were leading to. So how do you release Harlan? But again, hey, it is what it is. Hopefully, we see what happens. Hopefully, they might get Harlan back before next week happens or a couple weeks later, they did that with Samoa Joe when they fired him, what, last year? They quickly nabbed him back up so they could do the same thing with Harlan, but that's all if Harlan wants to uh, even join back with WWE even after this colossal mess. But I'm just not shocked anymore by actions of what WWE does. I'm not shocked by it. I just want to deliver that news to you guys. Also, I was late on this last week. I was supposed to say this last week, but I forgot Kushida is no longer with WWE as well. He has left the company. I'm not sure if he has a 30-day non-complete clause as well. And if he does, he can probably be on the uh, New Japan AEW Forbidden Door situation when that time rolls around. Because if these guys got released, what, Friday, and they get off on May 29th with Kushida leaving, and their AEW and... uh, New Japan's Forbidden Door things in June 26. Yeah, you can see Kushida being there and being like one of the shocking surprises for them there. And he's already New Japan all the way. He's a New Japan guy. He was never doing nothing like profound in NXT anyway. So it'll be a big like welcome home for him to go back to New Japan. And now with New Japan have dealings with both AEW and Impact, he can go to Impact and win the X Division Championship or he can go to uh, AEW and have something with the TNT title. That's only if they want to do that. So, again, I forgot to mention Kushida last week, but so now I'm mentioning it now, and I'm throwing out ideas for what Kushida could do if he's still under uh, the 30-day non-complete with WWE, as well as all these other individuals. Uh, I wish all everybody love and light. They got released from WWE. I know you guys are going to find your foot and uh, land somewhere Safely, I know you guys are because you guys just came from WWE, so you guys have all the talent in the world, and you guys will land somewhere because you got the WWE uh, stench on you, especially the ones that were on television. The other ones that weren't on television, I'm going to say good luck to you guys more because you guys are really going to need it more than the others that were on television. So again, love and light to everybody that got released from WWE. I hope you guys are uh, going to do well. I know you are, but again, I got to wish this stuff out because positivity goes a long way now with all that being said let me give you guys my social media links so i can get you guys out of here uh on twitter you can find me at at my two podcast instagram my two cents podcast g2 uh my yahoo is my two cents pod at yahoo.com and i want to hope that you guys have a great saturday i hope you guys have a great weekend please be safe there are people out here on the road that don't know how to drive so please be uh 
careful of that. I do love you all. I hope you guys check out my Sunday episode. My Sunday episode is called Business, and I get into a little bit of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard stuff that was going on this past week. And I've got into Elon Musk basically buying out Twitter and what that could mean for everybody. But again, I hope you guys do have a good Saturday. Hope you guys check out my Sunday episode. I do love you all. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Love and light to everybody. Say a prayer for people. Be nice. Don't be a dick. Just be courteous. And with that being said, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast. I love you all. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.